Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Benici. Joining me once again, Jay Ziak. Jay, before we get into this um, this record, I wanted to uh, ask you, uh, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, Sierra Mist. Sierra Mist? I had Sierra Mist. I think we need to work on that. The, pre, the pre-review banter, we need to work on, like, you're drinking like a... Um, like a, a fine scotch that you were given by Lee Iacocca in like 1986 to celebrate the release of the DeLorean or something like that. We need to come up with some sort of. Well, there's a little something mixed into it. Oh, okay. A little little rake of vodka. <laughs> nice. All right. Straight from Iceland. <laughs> I'm just Actually, going. I'm just going with the plain water tonight, but perhaps we'll mix it up in um, future episodes. Tonight's review, this is an interesting one. This is uh, Grunt Truck. Have you heard, Did you hear of Grunt Truck before I gave it to you? Yeah. Because they tour with Circus of Power, and I'm a, kind of a huge Circus of Power fan. Nice. I was going to bring that up, Circus of Power. I think <laughs> that's... Uh, that, that, before the show, that's what I was listening to. I was, getting, I was getting my Circus of Power rehash, just to be like, the what first, do they sound like again? The first album? I have all three. Oh, yeah. The uh, the third would be a good candidate for this podcast. Perhaps it will be. Point. Perhaps it will be. So I'm going to get in a, a little bit of the history here of Grunt Truck, which, I, you know, when you when you look at the name, I I sometimes think it should be Grunt Ruck or Grunt Truck because there's only one T. I say Grunt Truck. Is that not correct? I thought it was Grunt Truck, but I think it's just Grunt Truck. Grunt Truck. I don't know. So, uh, gr- <laughs> we always have these pronunciation disputes. We should discuss this beforehand. Be much more professional. So, Grunt Truck formed in 1989 in Seattle, Washington, from the uh, leftover ruins of the band Skinyard. Skinyard was relevant because a certain record engineer, producer, named Jack Endino was in the band. He is, of course, responsible for many great Seattle uh, releases from Nirvana and Soundgarden and such and so forth. Grunt Truck... I didn't know he was actually in that band. Yeah, he was in Skinyard, not in Grunt Truck. But most no, of the... no, no, I know that. Yeah. yeah. Most, most of the people that were in Grunt Truck were in Skinyard. So they release... They get together in 89. They release in 1990 this album, Inside Yours, which we're going to review... In 91, it gets re-released. It's uh, on Empty Records in 90, re-released by Roadrunner in 91 with the two bonus tracks, which are... We we're, we actually reviewed the bonus track release. Um, okay, what are the bonus tracks? The first two songs are the bonus tracks, which really? is odd. Really? Usually you put the bonus tracks at the end. They put them up front. Oh, uh, I'm going to... Okay. I, I, that's interesting. I'll have some more to say about that. Okay. Uh, they released a second album in 92. They toured with Alice in Chains in 92, 93, and then in 93, released an EP and toured with Circus of Power. Uh, they continued... They were in a legal dispute with Roadrunner Records from 93 to 96 and didn't do anything. And then in 96, they... I'm sorry, the EP was and tour was in 96 with Circus of Power, not in 93. I got my facts wrong there. Uh, they continued to play shows until 2002, and then they broke up. And then, unfortunately, the lead singer and guitarist Ben McMillan uh, passed away in 2008. Um, 
we will not be hearing from Grunt Truck anymore unless there are some rumored um, unreleased songs that were going to be on a third album that never came out. Nothing's ever come of that. Perhaps someday um, they'll be released, but as of yet, nothing's come out. So what was your what were your thoughts? This was a record that I had actually listened to long before I gave it to you. I'm sort of curious to hear what you think of it. Um, this is one of this is the probably the first record that we've reviewed that. God, it's such a time capsule. Like it just captures so perfectly a period of music history or my personal music history, I guess. Um, which is particularly odd because I, I haven't listened to it before, but it's just so indicative of what was going on in, at that time. Uh, I didn't realize that this album came out in 90. The first couple of times I listened to it, I thought maybe it was more of a, a 93, 94 release. And when I uh, realized it came out in 90, I got a whole new respect for it. Because if you look at where, where, it, where it's positioned with some other... Uh, seminal releases of the time um it's pretty interesting to listen to from that context to think about you know as i got into it you know the first song is you know sort of got an allison change sound garden thing going on second song starts off and it sounds like pantera like the riff (laughs) tone and the compression of the guitar and everything i'm like holy crap this sounds like a pantera song and if it was written in 1990 like that's pretty impressive so as the song kicks in and it gets going all of a sudden i realize wait a minute this isn't pantera this is mother love bone oh Um, yeah uh album came out in 1990 as well So, you know, I'm listening to the song and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, there are moments in that song where it sounds identical to some of the Mother Love Bone stuff. I mean, outside of the guitar tone uh, being, you know, heavier and, and a little bit, you know, uh, it doesn't have all the layers that the Mother Love Bone song does. But just the, the way he's singing it. the I mean, it's called Crucifunkin. I mean, that is such a Mother Love Bone even sort of. I love that title. Title and stuff that. <laughs> And the thing that's odd is that I don't want to dwell on the song, but it just it stands out like a sore thumb. Like it, it doesn't sound like any other song on this album. It is so. I mean, I would love to know like if they played a lot of songs with Mother Love Bone and and or Malfunction and um, you know it, you know they've just gigged a lot together and this is sort of just rubbed off on them or something. But man, it is just 
so similar to what they were doing. Um, I mean, it has some Chris Cornell sort of high high vocals in it and stuff, but for the most part, I mean, it could be an it could be a song off that first uh, the only official Mother Love Bone album, Apple. Um, so that that was sort of threw me for a leap when I heard that song um, as I was getting going going through this album, getting into it. Um, you know, as you get in uh, sort of halfway through. Um, it starts to take a turn and become a little bit more distinctive and a little bit more um, metal, I would think, I would say, and and uh, particularly with songs like uh, "Flesh Fever," which I think is really good, and uh, "Eyes of Stone." Eyes of Stone is probably my Crazy favorite bo- track on the first one, on the f- favorite track on the whole album. That riff is Helmet. Yeah, it is. It's it's two or three years before Helmet's um, unsung. heard the riff i'm thinking like okay this band came out in 94 95 they're ripping off helmet and i go back and look at the timeline they're before helmet yep yep and it's not just the riff it's even like sort of the vocal delivery of that song and even on other songs there's some vocal parts where he gets, he's in the lower register and stuff that's very helmet-esque so you know keeping him you know if you go back and listen to the song it's really important to kind of keep in context that this came out in 1990 this is a band you know, obviously they're trying to find their thing at the time and they're being influenced by a lot of other stuff that's going on in Seattle. So, I mean, you hear a lot of Soundgarden. You hear, you know, you hear Mother Love Bone. You hear Alice in Chains. I mean, you basically hear all of the stuff. You hear the Melvins. You hear Black Sabbath. You hear all of that stuff that was going on at that time. And that's, for me, I mean, I want to hear what you think about it, but for me, that's what really takes me back to that whole period and, like, that whole soup of influence and just sounds that people were you know that was so new at that time um that people were, were experimenting with and and stuff and i just i could not help but think as i'm listening to this album like kind of picturing the scene in singles when soundgarden's playing yeah it's, yeah you know dirty kind of crummy bar and like everybody's just like you know really into it and it's really low-key but it's really heavy and i just could not get that scene out of my head like every song i just kept thinking of that scene, you know, seeing this band play live and being in that, that club and, and watching them. So, I mean, what, what were you thinking? I, you know, listening to this record, I, I had no idea what to expect when I first got it. I didn't know what Grunt Trunk was, Grunt Truck or Grunt Truck, or whatever calling it, sounded like. And it was like, basically from the first opening guitar riff, I was like, oh my God. This, when people talk about grunge and they get it wrong and they talk about like, Bands yeah. that really weren't grunge. This is grunge. This oh, yeah. is like this the is... perfect combination of what that sound was, which is heavy. Really, it's derived from the bass and the drums. Yeah. It's that dark. You know, we talked about uh, previously 
uh, I think I think it was you and I, that, or maybe uh, Keith, uh, was involved in this conversation about um, Doctor Feelgood being like having the drum and bass sound of uh, of like a lot of grunge and like that almost being like a precursor that yeah. the locked in a distorted bass with the the I don't want to say the drums are dry but just they're like there's not a there's no reverb in terms of like you're not you're not getting these big like stadium reverb sounds like yeah. it sounds like it's a room reverb and yeah. it's really compact sounding and well, the guitars the... are not really they're dry they're not bassy they're pretty mid to trebly sounding even though they're distorted it's just like the perfect amalgamation of, of what a grunge band sounds like and the vocals i mean i mean you mentioned chris cornell uh lane staley from allison chains i mean those are you know I, soundgarden is, a, is definitely contemporary soundgarden was putting out records right around this time and a little bit before uh but allison chains was really just forming around this time i mean yeah. they were they were a metal band in the truest sense when they formed yeah and it's important to keep in mind that yeah, again this band especially this album when you're listening to it it may sound derivative, but it's not. It they were really in what was going on, and they are as true to what grunge and the Seattle scene is as anybody. You know, everybody was sort of playing around with you know these sort of Sabbath influences and punk, mixing it with punk and seeing what it, they could come up with and the Pixies and all this stuff. And they were right in the middle of it, and that's what this album really documents, which is kind of cool. Well, the the cool thing that about this record is. You know, a lot of people go, I don't want to listen to grunge. That's complaint rock. That's, you know, that's just people complaining all the time. Like, this isn't really, I mean, this is much more in the metal side when it comes to, like, lyrically and um, the vocal delivery. I mean, if you were into, you know, like you said, Sabbath or Motorhead or something like that, you're going to identify with this way more you're going to identify with, like, Pearl Jam or Nirvana. Well, lyrically, it's it's I mean it's in the same ballpark that where Mother Love Bone was. You know, Andrew Wood wasn't complaining about things. You know, so he sort right. of had up. You know, talks. You know, he had these sort of coded lyrics about his drug abuse and all this kind of stuff. But there wasn't complaining. I mean, there were dark moments and there were funny moments and there were like just nonsensical you know things going on. And they sort of play in the same realm. And I think a lot of the early grunge was. Uh, similar to that it wasn't complaint stuff I don't think until really Pearl Jam did it sort of take this you know when Mother Love Bone sort of transformed into Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder came in then you know along with a couple other bands it started to take a turn into being more you know contemplative and self-reflective and the sense of humor was completely lost and that's when the stereotype of it being complaint rock and then it got amplified into all the bands that mimic that for the next honestly 20 years i mean this album is 20 years old and fans are still sort of mimicking not only what they did but the things that people that you know directly after them did, so. you know it's funny that you you bring up you know mother love bone and malfunction especially malfunction because i was just doing some reading when i was researching um, this album i was i did some reading on malfunction and i didn't realize that most of the guys that played in malfunction ended up playing in satchel and when you listen to that first Satchel record, it's sort of a weird combination of like these piano ballads and drum loop droney songs mixed with 
really heavy songs. Yeah. When I listen to this record, I go, oh, that's where that was coming from. Like, it never mm-hmm. made sense to me that Sean Smith would be singing over a riff that sounds like it's off of, you know, a Black Sabbath album. But yeah. when I listen to this Grunt Truck, I'm like, oh, that's why, because Grunt Truck and probably Skinyard, I haven't had a chance to listen to any Skinyard, and that early Soundgarden stuff is where he was sort of getting that from. Because yep. otherwise, I mean, he's never done anything like that since then. Yep. That second Satchel record has maybe one song that with any heavy guitar on it, and nothing since then. And Brad was never that way, and Pigeonhead was never that way, and his solo stuff certainly isn't that way. I don't know if you mentioned, but this album is produced by Jack and Dino. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> I've recently been investing in, in some better, uh, I would say low-level audiophile sort of listening uh, equipment here at, at, at my house, and uh, the genius of his production really comes through when you get a good set of headphones and a head and a really good, you know, uh, tube headphone amp, because uh, you, it's the kind of production where the louder you play it, the better it sounds, and that's, to me, just for rock and roll, it's just brilliant. That's the way it's supposed to be. Well, it's something that's lost now. I mean, a lot of rock stuff is so over-compressed that actually as you turn it up, I mean, a lot of recent releases are produced in a way that they are supposed to sound good when listening to on a on a radio on a on a stereo tune for hip-hop played a low volume. And so when you crank it, it actually starts to fall apart and sound like crap. This stuff is the way that rock and roll is supposed to be produced. And the louder you play it, it's just sort of unveils all of this richness and depth to it that's just amazing especially the bass tone i mean the bass tone on this album the louder you play it it just gets amazing it's just killer it sounds so good um so back if you go back and listen to it i, I encourage everybody to, to crank your speakers because it's just it, it opens up a whole dynamic uh range to it that that's not there if you just sort of quietly you know listen to it and you're Dr. Dre headphones or whatever your iPod <laughs> headphones is just you know it's just, it's gonna sound small it's gonna be like oh well this sounds like old if you get get in a decent stereo and you crank it it opens up and turns into this sort of just epic really just raw sounding uh, just really good production it makes me want to go back and I mean I've always been you know you hear about Jack and Dino a lot and he's done a lot of work but it makes me just kind of want to go back and start to cherry pick some of the albums he's done and just just really listen to him and see uh, from a production standpoint listen to what you know, some more of his work I think you summed it up best when you said this is the way rock is supposed to sound <laughs> that's our tagline for this episode yeah so I mean it, it's not it's not stellar from start to finish um, I'm really curious to listen to the second record which is on eMusic and the first review of it I saw said that um Grunt Truck leaves behind their their obvious Soundgarden influence, which I find is funny. Is it's like they were contemporaries of Soundgarden, so I don't know that they were sitting around like it's not like they were kids listening to Soundgarden like oh let's start a band. I mean they were friends right. with them, I'm sure shows with them or whatever, but they had similarities. But I don't think the singer was like oh I'm gonna sound like Chris Cornell. It's just they were just part of the same scene. So the, apparently the second record has a little less of the Soundgarden edge to it, which um curious to hear because honestly when they get into that that heavy 
sort of realm and, and his vocals get like that, that's when I like it the most. I, yeah. I'm not quite sure why, but it just, I don't know, that's when it really works for me. So I'm, I'm curious to listen to the second record to see if it, uh, where it goes. I am too, and I'm sure that's going to be on our list of the next 1,512 records we're going to work on. Because <laughs> that's how many we have right now. 1,512. Always adding more. So I think this is a, uh, if, if we're going on the um, sound opinions, uh, patented, buy it, burn it, or trash it scale, this would be a buy it for us. This even has, you know, you said this, the sound is just, if you if somebody wants to know what grunge, grunge sounded like in the future, <laughs> this is what you put in the, tom, the, the, the time capsule. Yeah. The album cover is oh, what yes. an album should look like. It's got the vertical type on the left. Um, like the Mother Love Bone album is, like the Soundgarden albums were, the early ones. It's the condensed type, sans serif. Like I'm a designer, so I'm gonna nerd out on you a little bit, but like, it's like the textbook. It's you know, it's got the sweaty, weird photo of the guy, you know, playing. You're not quite sure what's going on. It, it's like the even the textbook grunge album cover. So, in terms of, I, I know we're all. You know, for me, I'm, I'm sort of sick of the grunge influence, but it's actually pretty interesting to go back and listen to the real thing and, and sort of listen to it with fresh ears and, and hear where it all came from. And you sort of get a whole, you know, better appreciation for what these guys were doing. And uh, it helps you forget a little bit of what it's been bastardized into by shit bands like Stained and whatever oh. has come after them and sort of destroyed the entire movement. Yes. Yes, taking grunge back from Stained and Creed. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, if you want to uh, find Grunt Truck, I would suggest visiting Amazon.com. And you can do that by going to our website. We have a link uh, for the Amazon page where you can buy Grunt Truck album. Uh, I want to thank Jay once again for joining me and reviewing this record. And be sure to check us out next week. Dig me out. Visit the Dig Me Out podcast at digmeoutpodcast.blogspot.com. Join our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at Dig Me Out Podcast. my level okay uh talk a little bit check one two mike check we're going to review some grunge truck grunt truck not grunge truck <laughs> no grunge truck <laughs>